Get Cody's trade alerts and all of his latest positions on the Trading with Cody app for iPhone and Android and on tradingwithcody.com. Welcome to another episode of Cody Underground, the podcast. I am Cody Willard, and today is Tuesday, April 19th, 2016. In today's Cody Underground podcast, I interview Brian Gallo, tech investor, venture capitalist, um, revolutionary thinker. Here you go. Brian Gallo, welcome to Cody Underground. Welcome back to Cody Underground, I should say. Very excited to be back, Cody. Very excited. Brian is a tech investor, a uh, revolutionary kind of thinker. He looks out 5, 10, 15 years into the future and uh, bets uh, money on where things are going. He does um, private venture raises for some big uh, unicorns that you've probably heard of. He's been involved with helping them raise money and... um, He's been on the podcast before, and you can always find him and me both on Scudify, uh pretty much daily uh, with uh, stock and markets and economic commentary. Brian's usually rather pithy about uh, his bullishness <laughs> in his post, so be sure to check it out over on Scudify and on the Scudify app. Brian, tell us what's going on with you these days. Well, I'm, you know, I mean, since the last time we spoke, I'm still bullish. Um, and, you know, I look like an idiot for uh, uh, quite a bit of time earlier this year. And uh, that's not the first time that's happened. But um, <laughs> we're, 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 we're still bullish. And, you know, but there's a lot of things that, that actually did happen since the last time we spoke. There was a huge kind of almost a mental correction in the private markets, like the, the big venture capitalists, uh, in Silicon Valley, really like talked down, and guys like Mark Cuban saying there was a bubble in angel investing, and it was actually very healthy. A very healthy thing happened, which is kind of the opposite of what happens in the public markets, is where the talk actually lowered prices, and then Fidelity came out and marked down their Uber, they marked down their Snapchat by like 25%, and it was kind of nasty when it happened. And we went through a, a, a full year, I think, 2015, where startups, you know, a few startups went out of business, um, and startups just weren't getting funded at the rate they were getting funded in 2014, 2013, 2012. And um, so it was, it was kind of nasty. It was like this little mini correction. But what we've seen this year, um, as the markets bottomed in the early part of the year, is a pickup in uh, private funding as well. So, um, so yeah, we, yeah, go ahead. Talk us, give us an idea of the timing on some of the pickups here. I mean, you know, the stock markets themselves crashed in January and early February when they put in a bottom, and now here we are almost back to all-time highs. Was the Is the private market, um, you know, it doesn't respond to that type of, short-term movement does it, but at the same time, you know, when the markets are crashing, it does impact that stuff. So how did the timing sort of lay out when things started coming back in the private market in the last, say, three months? It's uh, it's really fascinating that the 
public markets still have an, an unbelievable influence in private markets. It used to be a total disconnect between the two. But now as we see more big investors like a Fidelity or like hedge funds now getting into venture capital and getting into private markets, everything is interrelated even more so. So Right. As, so if the hedge funds or Fidelity are getting crushed in the public markets, they're going to pull back on their private market investments too, like they typically do in the you know, it becomes that sort of self fulfilling prophecy that you get creates the cycles of the stock market and sometimes the economy because of the you know, the reflexive feedback of the markets and the economy on each other. So everything's connected again, again. So I mean I I guess that's a that's a good thing and, and a healthy thing. Um but for the first time for the first time since I've been doing this, uh earlier this year I felt that there were actually better opportunities in the public markets than in the private markets. And I think that was reflected in a lot of these unicorn pullbacks by, you know, mental pullbacks by Fidelity and, um, you know, companies like, okay, I'll just use one of the ones I've been getting killed on for the past two years, Twitter. Like, Twitter has been awful as an investment and it's been one of our biggest investments and it's a failure as of today. But I haven't sold the share and think that that is such a compelling deal right now. Um, but what I've learned, uh, you know, most before that with Facebook and with Apple and all these companies that get whacked is you just really have to be patient and not pay attention. You have to almost take your attention off of it because if I had to look at the Twitter price every day, I would have capitulated. And so, just... Brian, then, you know, one of the things we talked about last time was how important management is. And I think I even asked you about your feelings on Dick Costolo and when he was running Twitter back a year and a half ago or whenever it was, and if he was up to snuff. And clearly he wasn't, you know, especially now as we read sort of some of the debriefings that are out there that I've read about what happened. Recode had a great article a few months ago or a few weeks ago about what was going on at Twitter as Costola was heading out the door over about a couple-year period, and now much the company was in disarray. Do you have more faith in, in Dorsey? Or, you know, he's also running Square. The new CEO of Twitter is juggling two huge billion-dollar company jobs as CEO. And, um, you know, just sort of talk us a little bit about, okay, so you're bullish still on Twitter and you haven't sold any. Let me hold your feet to the fire. Give me the upside. How does this thing finally work out? How are they going to make money? How are they going to grow? What, what's the model? Well, we, we, we actually thought that Costello was, was good, and he was a, you know, part of that original founding team. So we, that's what we want in our companies. But now we have act, the actual founder, or the creator of the product, which is ideal. So that's the ideal situation for who's running the company. We have no qualms about him running Square. Elon Musk is probably the best CEO in the world, maybe of all time. He's running multiple companies very well. Excuse me one um, moment while I puke. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> well, 
Well, but, but the point is that he's a he's you know he's a, an incredible he's a brilliant welfare raiser. He sure does a great job of funding his companies with my taxpayer money. But that's a different topic. Well, entirely. I mean that's a that's a totally different topic. To take a whole podcast on. I would just say with respect to a CEO, you have to be uh, a true believer and a missionary, and he's definitely a missionary in his belief system of what he thinks and where he thinks the world wants to go. And I think Jack Dorsey is similar in that regard. Um, and Wall Street is, 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 it's hilarious. Wall Street is still the only place where you can have a company as visibly dominant as Twitter. Like, you don't have to go far to look and see Twitter's influence on the world, right? Any event in real time, it's all about Twitter. Any, any package, reach, any package of any packaged goods you buy at the store, whether it's a furniture cabinet at IKEA or a Doritos bag, has a Twitter icon on it. It has an incredible impact, and Wall Street is the only place in the world where you could actually look at something like that and be bearish on it. <laughs> it's like the only place in the world where you can be inundated with product so, so, and still feel like this is not time, a good investment. You know, the, the the big bearish argument there on Wall Street is that the company's not monetizing. And, uh, at well, more than the monetization, because they are monetizing. They're figuring out how to start monetizing the three or 400 million users they've got. But the monthly user base has stalled out and is even declining. And I think there's a whole business model for Twitter for other companies to build off the Twitter platform like I've done with Headline, for example, a shameless plug in some sense, but truly <laughs> it's relevant here because download the Headline app without the I, by the way. Search the App Store and the Play Store, and it's part of the Scudify family of apps. But what we've done is on there and on Scudify itself, we take the feeds, the Twitter feeds, from the best news sources and the most relevant talking heads and create entire streams out of those and so that people can follow that stuff in real time and get the latest headlines because, you know, the, these Twitter accounts of all the major news sources are vibrant and alive. They put photos and videos and all that stuff gets embedded in our app and it's all built off of the Twitter platform. So there's a model that Twitter not hasn't even hardly explored yet and I think... That becomes, you know, they, they are the de facto standard for news and celebrity commentary and the out and distribution of their words into the world. Talk to me, though, holding your feet to the fire. What are the lessons you've learned and what's Twitter going to do to fix it? First of all, what's Twitter going to do to fix itself? And then I want you to answer, what's the lessons you've learned about the about investing and trading from this painful Twitter experience thus far? I, I just see there's nothing new that I've learned because I just we just went through the same thing with Facebook. It was a shorter time period, but man, that felt like a, it was like an 18 month period where how would Facebook monetize this? How would Facebook monetize mobile? The same people making the same comments, you know, about Twitter today. And it's like one of the OK, one of the one of the big themes that we talk about is that the, the the metrics the metrics we have currently to measure stuff just aren't up to it aren't up to it like we're grasping at metrics to be able to quantify stuff that it's like we're in this period that we you know that is known as the singularity right it's the confluence of 
human consciousness and technology and machine consciousness. And the first, the first movers in all of this were Apple with the iPhone, right? And Facebook and all the social apps like Twitter, right? Because that is, those were the first companies where people actually started to change their behavior. Like 10 years ago, if you went out, there wouldn't be 90% of the people would not be staring at their cell phone, right? You go out now and it's just, it's weird kind of the way the behavior is. And I think we'll actually look back at this era and be like, okay, that was really weird um, <laughs> with, with, with like, you know, VR devices. But it's like we're in this, we're in this era of, of like the beginning stages of the singularity where man and machine are becoming one. And we're seeing that even more so with Facebook being the first mover again in virtual reality and i know you're big on that whole space and so like you gotta start i mean maus that's not even relevant really anymore you know i mean like like face like facebook MAU, by facebook. the way the monthly average user is that the what the metric yeah yeah that's the metric that people had to come up with when you know, in the beginning when there was no money coming in for these companies, right? So, like, okay, there's, we, I don't, we don't know how to quantify this thing because there's apps, they're not even trying to raise, they're not even trying to make money. This was in the early days of Facebook. So what can we look at? Like, Wall Street needs numbers, right? We need to point at something. So MAUs was, was what we use now. That is totally irrelevant now. What matters is how you monetize your user base. And you're correct. They haven't done a good job of that yet. Yet, but as you remember, with Facebook, Facebook hadn't monetized their user base. They were public and they still weren't monetizing their user base. And then they flipped on a switch. You know, they got it right. And I know Twitter still has to do some stuff and figure that out. They haven't yet. But when they flip that switch on, then it'll be too late. It'll be too late to invest in it, right? All right, so Brian, last words on Twitter, and then we'll sort of go back. We'll go to a broader concept and talk here. But... What's the over the next two to five years? Your downside risk and the upside potential. Well, just give me a number for both. On well, the stock Twitter's price. already made. I don't even know what the stock price is today. The Twitter, Twitter is uh, they're they're already making money. So I just don't. I feel like you, know, you always have to. Any investment we make, we're prepared to get whacked, whacked because we're thinking way long term. And as you know, as a long term revolutionary investor. All of those companies get whacked. They all get whacked because we get too excited about them, and then we get too bearish on them, and back and forth. It's just human behavior. It's herd behavior, actually. And so, um, you know, we're always ready to get cut in half, and I think that would be the, you know, I, I can't imagine it getting cut in half from here because it's already been cut in half multiple times. But um, then, you know, then at, at a certain point, this could be well above its all-time highs. Um, and, I, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised if there was, you know, a buyer out there for this, but I'm just not sure at what price. And I hope they don't sell it. I hope they don't. I feel like, you know, I feel like selling it would be a really, really good deal for like a whoever, a Google to buy or for, you know, I don't even know Microsoft. what Yahoo's doing or Microsoft to buy. I feel like that would be a great deal for that type of company to become relevant again. Not Google. Google is like the greatest company ever, but like a Microsoft to be, yeah. um, you know, back back in the saddle. Okay, well, give us a, a, a sort of, a, you know, we've got, let's say we've got five minutes left here in this interview, and um, 
what what do you what should I be asking you here that's most important in your mind right now? What what are you know you're a big thinker, so I don't want to put you know I don't want to direct the re- the interview when you could be telling me what what's on your mind? What are you looking? Okay, at here? I appreciate that because I definitely want to talk about something that's going to be a counter trend. And I'm just, I kind of like know this like I know the back of my hand. So VR is going to be huge. We all know that. I think everybody virtual that. Virtual reality. That, that is just going to be, and you guys are covering that extensively at Scudify. So, you know, good on you. There's going to be a counter trend here, and there's going to be a pushback to real life, actual experience. We've already seen, we're already seeing that, at, like, in the way we raise our children, right? Like, we, you know, it's pretty well known that Steve Jobs – uh, did not allow his kids to use the iPhone or the iPad, you know, at all, right? And so we're already seeing, like, kids that have only known, you know, smartphones, iPads, having socialization problems, right, with, with just not being able to look someone in the eye and relate to them, right? And so there is going to be a huge pushback in mental health with respect to addiction on these type of devices, which we've all made, you know, which we all enjoy and use and have made tons of money on, but there will be a pushback and there will be a pushback towards, towards actual real life experiences. And we're positioning ourselves to be a part of that trend. And so, you know, I am a meditation teacher as well. And so I've been doing that for the past three years. We've noticed an incredible pickup in that space and people wanting to reconnect Right. And not and, and reconnect by unplugging and getting off their screens and getting off their devices, even for only a half hour a day. It can be uh, incredibly it can it can nullify, you know, a day's worth of screen time, let's say. And so we um, are getting in front of that counter trend. So whether it's meditation or, you know, trips, you know, experiences, old school kind of things, dinners where there's no phone, you know, places, spaces that are phone-free. Um, we're, uh, we're thinking that's going to be a huge theme that no one is really talking about right now, and that's the kind of stuff we're interested in. We're interested in, in, in not, not the story, the stuff that's not going to make its way on the headline, you know, or Scottify. And so um, just a little food for thought for your listeners. You know, Brian, that's awesome. It's a counter trend against the entire um, app revolution and, you know, like you said, smartphone, tablet, connectivity, social media world that were, that you and I have both been positioned to ride for the last five or seven, even ten years. And uh, perhaps it's peaking and there is a counter trend that is important and that we should be thinking about how to get in front of. And... Um, you know, I'm going to have to make an introduction between you and a friend of mine who is involved with a company called Go214. Uh, if you're in the Dallas area, check that out. It's an app okay. on the iPhone and, and um, the Play Store. And, you know, it's local events. Um, they've got a, several. There's also Go212 you know, 212 and several other area codes. And it's about that local experience and bringing it back. And it's sort of it's a, mer- and a merger of the app revolution with real life world experiences. So it's an interesting concept and something I'm personally going to think about uh, and how it applies to my long-term view on the next 5 or 10, 15 years of revolution investing. Last words, Brian. Yeah, real quick, 
you know, Einstein said genius is the ability to have two opposing viewpoints at the same time. So I'm not saying that don't, the after evolution is real. The singularity is real. We're positioned for that, but there will be a counter trend as well against it. So you can belong both. You can belong it's both. It's beautiful. Belong. Absolutely. It's almost right. like a pair trade. It's a pair trade. Exactly. Beautiful. <laughs> hey, um, Brian, thanks so much for everything. Uh, um, again, everybody, be sure to follow me and Brian, uh, Brian and me on uh, Scudify and on the Scudify apps. You can find in Play Store and the App Store. Um, and uh, you know, check out tradingwithcody.com where you can find all of my trades and analysis and positions and everything else. And Brian, I just want to say thanks again for joining me. I'll talk to you. Let's do this again in the next few months, like we always yeah, do. Yeah, please, let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks so much. Great time again. Thanks, man. Bye. Myself, I'ma take from the poor and give to the rich and double high deep. I dig every ditch and then be good in the game like Joplin until I'm violated or quit. Well, I'll be living it up and keep on living while you giving it up. And about the way he living Take a hit, make a hit, keep a tunnel vision Sign a deal with the feds, go to music prison Who will believe you a prophet When you enjoy your music Sells advertisements and profits Well, who knew, boo, ho, we get a clue, yo, do I blew your mind from Q, you to Soho, Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Souls, get around like hobos, yeah, we be tearing it up, and you gon' get it, how you giving it up, you gon' give it while you giving it up, live, live, living while you living it up. See, I thought I was rich, till I got rich, and found out how rich, rich can get, 